What's been billed as the last song by the Beatles will be played in an hour here on Radio 2. Now and Then has been 45 years in the making, after John Lennon first recorded the vocals on a demo in 1978, two years before his death. Oliver Murray, who wrote and directed a short film about the song, says it's been completed with the help of artificial intelligence. Especially in entertainment, there's a lot of bad press on AI because people think you can sort of quite lazily use the technology to create quick and easy music. And that's fine in some places, but that's absolutely not what was happening here. This was all about authenticity and using technology as a tool to bring John back. You can hear the track straight after the news at the start of Scott's show here on Radio 2. And the weather, Storm Kieran will bring some very strong winds and showers this afternoon, some thundery across southern England. Heavy rain will spread across the rest of England, Wales and Scotland, but it will be drier in Northern Ireland. Highs of 11 Celsius in London, 10 in Cardiff and Belfast and 9 in Edinburgh. That's the BBC News. It's 5 past 1. So yeah, I'm uh, listening to BBC 2 Radio right now, just on their website. And, uh, yeah, because uh, I was trying to figure out, today is the day, the final Beatles song, the last Beatles song, now and then, is released. And it has it's not on YouTube yet, it's not on, uh, you know, the streaming services yet. It's going to be played on uh, BBC Radio 2 in one hour, less than one hour from now. And, uh, though, of course, this is a song that has been out there in various uh, versions. The final version has not been heard yet. Uh, and I'm very much excited about that. It's a very historic final Beatles song, because even when they finally do release um, the song uh, Carnival of Light, if they ever do, that one was already finished back in the 60s. It just has never been released. This song uh, was uh, worked on, uh, I guess, last year by uh, Paul, quote-unquote Paul, and Ringo. So as a huge Beatles fan, this is very important for me. And uh, interestingly, I had no idea that there's this huge sort of hurricane-like storm in uh, going across uh, Britain and uh, and uh, Europe. It's called Storm Kieran, C-I-A-R-A, and and the last A has an uh, accent on it. Kieran, Storm Kieran. <coughs> so that's the news of the day. Storm. It says Radio Two, Jeremy Vine, Storm Kieran, and Beatlemania. So. We're going to be uh, listening and uh, should be interesting. Final Beatles song. I also wanted to mention uh, that uh, last night the Texas Rangers baseball team won the World Series. The first time in that franchise's uh, history that they won a World Series. And of course, um, as I mentioned last time, uh, Jimbo, who was uh, a big personality here on OnSug Radio, and he, he passed away, unfortunately, about six years ago in 2017. He was a huge uh, Texas Rangers fan. And uh, as uh, PQ commented when I, when I made a post about this on Facebook, said Jimbo would have been thrilled that his team won the World Series. So uh, thinking about Jimbo this morning as his team finally won a World Series. I was, look, I was looking back on the show notes, and he did do a lot of Texas Rangers updates and talk a lot about the Texas Rangers, which was uh, his team. He was a huge fan. And uh, hopefully somewhere Jimbo is uh, smiling today. Some other dimension, afterlife, what have you, uh, that this finally happened. 
But as I've been listening to BBC, apparently uh, Jersey, the I, the island or Isle of Jersey, uh, was a particularly hard hit in Storm uh, Kieran. And you very rarely hear anything, any news or out of Jersey, which is, of course, where my beloved home state of New Jersey got its name. That was the original Jersey. Someday I'd like to go there just to experience what the original Jersey was like. If you look on a map, actually, it's much closer to France than England, but it's part of England, apparently, or Britain, what have you. Um, yeah, so there was a, a live phone call with someone in uh, in Jersey about all of the but, but the destruction the, the storm caused. Original Jersey. All right, it's about nine minutes till 10 a.m. here, apparently. 2 p.m. there, I guess. The difference with the, the day, daylight saving time is miss. It's four hours later there, not five as it usually is. Um, yeah, going to be playing a new Beatles song. Very exciting. I have my BBC Two player on right now. Just so I don't miss it. And yes, I mean, I've heard the song in the leaked versions, but this is going to be the final version. Plus, this is really historic for all the Beatles fans in the world to sort of the uh, the last Beatles song. But of course, Carnival of Light. Yes, I always bring that up. Anyway, we had Halloween the other night, and it was pretty. It was really nice. Uh, we were all, every neighbors were all hanging out on the porch, and my neighbor Brad had uh, this pumpkin with uh, this smoke machine inside. It was like this smoking pumpkin. Plus, he had this like green laser shooting up his walkway. It was really cool. And uh, <coughs> yeah, we. Uh, I was drank a little too much of my celebrity uh, tequila here, so. Towards the end of the night, I was a little little drunk, but uh, it was rather fun, you know, giving out the candy, hanging out, playing. I was playing, uh, I found a, a ch- playlist on Apple Music called uh, Crate Diggers Halloween Edition, which is all old vinyl records that are uh, novelty songs, uh, horror, Halloween related. It was pretty cool. So yeah, that was kind of fun, but it's November now. Can you believe it's November already? Ooh, what are they saying? A, a magazine every week called, I think, Fab 208. Uh-huh. And, uh, it had full-size pictures of the Beatles in, so I naturally, you know, put them out. A lot of Beatles stuff week. going on in, and Monday, today. And one day, and I, the whole of my bedroom walls were completely covered in pictures of the Beatles. So, yeah, if you don't know, uh, you know, I was born, uh, when I was born, the Beatles were still going. I was born in 67. But uh, I really didn't, was not a fan of theirs uh, growing up until I was in my early 20s and I had uh, my own Beatles revelation around 89, 90. Uh, so I would have been about my early 20s. I had my own personal Beatlemania and I really just got super into everything Beatles. And uh, it's been, I've been that way ever since. And, you know, recently, uh, over the few months ago, over the summer, I think, uh, PQ put together a series uh, on Overnight Escape Central of all the Beatles albums, so we really delved into each one deeply, and that was amazing, and I really enjoyed uh, revisiting all of the songs. Uh, only reinforced uh, my fascination with not just the music, which is fantastic, but the whole stories behind it, and of course, my one of my favorite aspects of the whole thing, the whole Paul is dead uh, Situation, theory, conspiracy theory, symbolism, all the hidden messages, all that kind of stuff, which uh, sort of does hint at a much more sinister 
goings-on in the world of the Beatles, um, especially if it was some sort of cabal or Illuminati-type group that was behind, actually, the Beatles in the first place, and then the replacement of Paul when Paul died in a car accident in 1966. This, of course, is all speculation. According to the official story, Paul never died. I I think that he was replaced with a new uh, person, which is uh, utterly insane, fascinating, amazing, horrible, all these things together. Uh, Such an interest. It adds so much to the whole story. And then, of course, I think one of the big revelations I had during the Central series was um, that uh, the movie Magical Mystery Tour is actually much better than I had uh, remembered it. Um, Really worthy of uh, reexamination. Of course, the other Beatles movies, I mean, Hard Day's Night is one of my favorite movies of all time. It stands up. It just gets better and better every time you see it. Help, uh, pretty much the same as I had thought of it. Deeply flawed movie with some bright spots here and there, but generally a disappointment. And, of course, Yellow Submarine is fantastic in its own way. And uh, Magical Mystery Tour, really worth uh, reexamining and looking at again. What are they saying now here? That was it screaming all night long, you know, for the rest of the night. And I can understand why the Beatles gave up touring so yeah. quickly because they're doing that twice a night all through the summer season, you Exhausting, know. exhausting. Yes. Thank you very much. Lovely memory, Celia. And do stay with us on Radio 2 for the, for the airing of this song. I certainly will. <laughs> okay, Thank cheers. You. Bye-bye. Bye. We're all unreasonably un- excited here. Dino Pascara is in Liverpool for the Beatles listening party there and says, I'm up in Liverpool for a now and then listening party. Now and then's the title of the song. It's at the Beatles Museum. It's going to be a historic and emotional day for myself and Beatles fans across the universe. Yeah, we hear that song title. It's the end of a chapter by four lads who changed the world. So we go right back to the start. Not quite the very, very start, but near to the start for this. Yeah. If there's anything from me to you. Oh, good love to hold you and keep you by my side. I got lips that long to kiss you and keep you satisfied. Just, just wonderful. From me to you, the Beatles. More Beatles very soon on Radio 2. Newer Beatles, strangely. Barbara Dale in Cheshire says, I remember them making their debut on television and my dad saying, well, this lot of rubbish, don't think they'll last long. In April 63, I saw them at the Buxton Pavilion, Derbyshire, and I was... Hooked. Buxton? I was 15 at the time. Like Buxton's Restaurant in Pluckham in New Jersey? first album with my first week's wages, and I've loved them ever since. It's amazing when you see big artists doing small venues at the start of their career. I think Bowie did Tolworth Tower in the early 70s. Which is a bowling alley. Helen in London says, I went to a Beatles concert in Sheffield. Wasn't there a great Grateful Dead uh, show at a bowling alley? I think so. The other great thing is that children were allowed into these concerts. We threw jelly babies from a circle. Would you like a jelly baby? John had said he liked them. One of my jelly babies hit John and he looked up annoyed. To be honest, you couldn't really hear them because of the screaming. What do you do with a presenter who has heard hours of music every day for decades? All right, it's, it's time. It's 2 o'clock in England now. It's 10 a.m. here. 
Look around you. There are thousands of songs. From that first note, you must know, it's 90s disco. Every era, every genre. I usually don't listen to the BBC, but I didn't even know if they'd allow me to listen from here in America, but I guess they're allowing it. And I am telling you, I am not going. The Paul Gambaccini Collection continues. Sunday night from 8 on BBC Radio 2. Thank you, Paul. Stand by for Scott and the new Beatles song and have a wonderful day. This is Radio 2. On BBC Sounds. And on your smart speaker. Wow, what am I thinking about that bowling alley? Um, BBC News at 2 o'clock. This is Harvey Cook. There are no British people on hmm. the list of those eligible to leave Gaza today. It's expected around 400 it's people... It's the news of the day. ...will make the crossing later, including many Americans. Two UK aid workers were among the several hundred foreign nationals allowed to enter Egypt yesterday. The government says it's working to help more British citizens escape the besieged territory. Mohammed Abu Fall is a British Palestinian stuck in Gaza with his family. He says he's not sure when they'll be able to leave. I am very worried. If a, one of my family is, his name is not on the list, what shall I do? Oh, maybe it's just a place called Dream Bowl. Yeah, I think it was a place called Dream Bowl, but I don't. Was it a bowling alley? Or? Uh, Storm Kieran has been battering southern England and the Channel Islands, forcing people from their homes and closing hundreds of schools. Hampshire declared a major incident because it's of in Vallejo, California. Services. One of the worst hit areas is Jersey, where one homeowner Jersey, yeah, stones bigger than golf balls hitting her property. Our correspondent Jenny Kumar has the latest. Police in Jersey say about 40 people have had to be moved from their homes for their own safety. For one family, there was a rude awakening. When the storm blew in the bedroom window of their house, the sound was captured by a baby monitor. Whoa. It's the sound of the storm Kieran in Jersey. Original Jersey, not New Jersey. Knocking down walls. People are being urged to stay at home for the day and only travel if essential. Schools across the islands are closed and there are no flights in or out of the airports. The Bank of England has held interest rates at five and a quarter percent. It's the second time in a row that its Monetary Policy Committee has decided to keep the rate at this level. The bank's governor, Andrew Bailey, said there was still more to be done to reduce inflation. There is absolutely no room for complacency. Inflation is still too high. We will keep interest rates high enough for long enough to make sure we get inflation all the way back to the 2%. What is this, the 70s with all this inflation again? Come on. To see if further increases in interest rates are needed. But even if they are not needed, it is much too early to be thinking about rate cuts. The commander of Ukraine's armed forces has warned... Come on, where's the Beatles? reached a stalemate. This is so exciting. He said this would benefit Russia. We're coming to you live. What is that from? Remember that um, the album by the The Orb? The, I think it's called The Dream. We're coming to you live. Can we find that real quick before we... Oh, wow. Yeah, look at this. Interesting. I'm, the album I was listening to yesterday, uh, because I found it, Hold on. The Beatles is about to get its first play here on Radio 2. Now and Then has been 45 years in the making, and you'll hear it next with Scott. And that's the BBC News at three minutes past. All right. Thank you, Harvey. The Beatles. The Beatles. Here we go. The Beatles. 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 So, this time last week, we heard the news that the Beatles were back. 
The original boy band were releasing one final song, unheard before. Well, it's not quite true. Decades in the making. Not quite true. The song is called Now and Then, and it was released about three minutes ago. Written and sung by John Lennon, and then finished off by Paul and Ringo more than 40 years There's some Georgia guitar in there too, apparently. It's an incredible story involving Peter Jackson, the filmmaker behind the Get Back documentary. He helped Paul restore a cassette recording of John to make this new song. Now, we found out earlier this week that Peter has directed a music video for Now and Then, which features some Ooh. of the earliest known footage of the band. That was also released a few moments obviously, ago. Obviously, the title is uh, and if you want to Now hear the and story Then. Behind this final track, there is Play a it. new episode of the Eras podcast for you now on BBC Sounds. Is it on YouTube? new interviews with Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. As well as insight on the new track from Sean Ono Lennon, Olivia Harrison, and Peter Jackson. It's a great listen. Search eras on sounds. Come on. None of us have heard this yet, and I've got it here, and I'm ready to play it. Do it. This is a landmark moment in music. It is. Featuring all of the Fab Four. Here is new music on BBC Radio 2 <laughs> from the Beatles. Wow. Wow, hearing it for the first time, like everyone else. Nice. It's all because of you. See, I already know this song somewhat. It's amazing how they restored the vocals. A very fuzzy cassette using AI. Getting chills. This is amazing. Nice. Obviously, this was recorded probably, what, towards the end of John's life, around 1980 or so? His part. added strings. Ringo did some drumming on it last year. Paul added bass and guitar parts last year. But there was also a 1995 session where George Harrison did some guitar parts. This is the last Beatles song until we contact some alternate realities where the Beatles never broke up, and we'll get a lot more Beatles songs then. But this is the last Beatles song in this current reality, theoretically. It's a lot better than the the fan-made versions. Even I Am A Phony had a couple versions up, the uh, Paul Is Dead guy on YouTube. You 
Oh, wow, there's that slide guitar Paul was doing. He did that, I guess, last year in honor of uh, George's guitar uh, parts, slide guitar. So all this stuff is new, from not from the fan versions we've heard. Yeah, this was originally gonna, meant to be on Anthology 3 back in the 90s, but, of course, the quality of the tape was too, uh, too low. You know, the piano... And John's voice were on the same, you know, on one track. Now they're finally able to separate those out using computer technology. Obviously, I'm not hearing this in the best audio, and you're not hearing it in the best audio, but obviously. Nice. have a backwards thing at the end just like in uh, free as a bird come on they have to have some paul is dead stuff in here come on paul is dead come on there's gotta be something we'll have to analyze it if there's any paul is dead stuff on it on this record nice that's it that's it this is a huge day for Beatles fans all over the world because for them it feels like an ending, like a full stop on the biggest career in pop music. So very significant. What I want to do is go straight to you and just read out some of the messages that are coming in. Gemma in Nottingham says, just wow, I got the shivers when I heard the one, two at the beginning of the track. That was amazing, feeling a little bit emotional now. Ruth in Shropshire says, I'm in tears listening to the new Beatles track. What a song. Let's hope we have the Fab Four as Christmas number one. I mean, that is a possibility. Mark in Oxford says, I'm only in my mid-30s, but the Beatles were a massive part of my childhood with my parents listening to them. And now this new song, um, I'm in tears. It sounds so haunting yet so beautiful. One word, wow, says Andy from Tynan Weir. Best band ever. So much nostalgia. Where is that music video now? Says Linda. What a powerful song. From Sarah and Worthing. There are hundreds of messages that we're getting through here. That was the Beatles. I don't Beatles think it's out, don't think it's out yet. On Radio 2 of now and then. All right, that was it. And I can turn off the BBC now. Thank you. Wow, that was uh, really quite, uh, quite amazing. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah, what I was saying before was that what I was listening to yesterday, an album uh, by a group called Druid Fluids uh, out of Australia uh, called Now, uh, it's called Then, Now, Again, and Again. So it's very similar to Now and Then. This is Then, Now, Again, and Again, the album by Druid Fluids. So a little sample of it here. It's kind of Beatles-esque in some ways. It's psychedelic Beatles-esque druid fluids. Yeah. Nice. So I've been listening to this song now. It's on YouTube now. And uh, there, I think I may have found a, an oblique reference to Paul is Dead. It starts off with Paul saying one, two.
Paul number one and Paul number two. So that may be the uh, oblique reference to Paul is dead that I was hoping to find. Why didn't they go one, two, three, four, right? I know this is a bit of a stretch, but I need some Paul is dead stuff, man. See, it is Paul is dead stuff. One, two. He's representing the two Pauls. I know it's true. Paul is a dead man. Miss him, miss him, miss him. So there's another, uh, some darn new music out today. Yes, listening to the album RPM Volume 2, 10 years later by Jim Fiddler. Yes, the song is In the Heat of the Night. So uh, Jim Fiddler, of course, is uh, someone who has been uh, on uh, on Sug Radio uh, in the past. Uh, him and his wife Lillian have had a show called uh, Republic of Avalon Radio, of which a number of episodes are included in the archive here. They haven't done much podcasting in recent years, but um, yeah, so this album, RPM Volume 2, the first volume was back uh, 10 years ago in 2013, and I actually had... Uh, I did uh, help a bit in the graphics of the cover and stuff. I think I helped choosing a few of the fonts and stuff, I think, if I recall correctly. Um, and uh, for this second version, I remember earlier this year, Lillian had asked me to just take a look at the graphics, and I gave them some, uh, you know, just some proofreading notes and things. And So, uh, yeah, she had sent me a, a CD copy a while ago. I've been, I keep meaning to get to it, but I looked on uh, Apple Music here, and it says released uh, November 2nd, 2023, which is actually today. So uh, I guess today is the actual release date of this album. So you can check this out. Uh, Jim Fiddler, 10 years later. Oh, here, here's the beginning. I like the beginning part. Prologue, 10 years later. See, everything today is sort of referencing the past, you know, now and then by the Beatles and now and then and again and again by the Druid Fluids and Ten Years Later by Jim Fiddler. I wonder if, t- if today's show title references the past. It does somewhat. Anyway, um, yeah, today's episode is called The Vague Rodents in Summer Extreme. Yes. What the heck is this all about? Let's take a look at the cover briefly, shall we? Of The Vague Rodents in summer extreme so what is the story of this so this uh, this is uh, sort of a, a sequel in a way to the overnight escape 1913 the vague rodents uh, from wow longer ago than i thought may 19th 2022 so like a year and a half ago now um yeah so i remember trying to remember exactly what was going on here there I found this image uh, from uh, the Chicago World's Fair, the World's uh, Columbian Exposition in 1893. They had art, you know, like paintings, but it was just, as you can see in that picture from 19, the episode 1913, um, they would just sort of jam every, like there was no space between the pictures. All the frames were all butted up against each other. They had so much art to display. And one of them was this painting called Summer uh, by William Reynolds Stevens. And it's a, it's an image of these five women sort of lazing on this uh, couch kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, 
So in the previous show art, I, I took the actual photo from the World's Fair. What happened? I lost it. Now there it is, right? A photo of the display from the World's Fair, and I superimposed. It was in the black and white. I don't think they had color photography in 1893. <laughs> Listen, they had a lot in 1893, but there's still some technologies weren't invented. And I superimposed a, a color version on top of it because I found a later color version of, of Summer. I thought it was quite a striking image. I, I did kind of like the image of these women sort of lazing on a Sunday, a summer afternoon on this couch-like thing. Um, and I, I wound up calling it the vague rodent because I, uh, I remember talking about, I was just talking about um, vague rodents, I guess. <laughs> this was a while ago. What were the vague rodents? Like voles and, and marmots and all the vague rodents. You know, like obviously a rat and a mouse and a rabbit are very well known, but there's some vague ones as well. Capybaras, I think, are somewhat vague. Um, so, yeah, that's the story of the original. So, as you may know recently, um, Photoshop, the premier photo editing program, added uh, AI features, right? AI uh, features that allow you to uh, add background using AI. And I thought it was done with AI images, but this uh, type of technology is not just generating an image from scratch, but it's altering an image, sort of continuing an, an actual image. And I know when this technology became available earlier this year or last year, a lot of people were taking paintings and extending them, so sort of like the Last Supper and seeing what's to the left and right of it. Um, <coughs> and uh, they, the AI can be really unpredictable and weird in some cases. So sort of interacting with it, like every time you generate something with AI, it gives you th three choices, and then you could try again. So you, you, you keep trying until you get something that you like. Now, in the case of extending the backgrounds, as I did a few episodes ago on um, with that original Overnight Escape Underground logo from 2007, that episode called Serendipity Interloper, right? Um, hold on, I'm going to open this up here. A second. Um, what I found was, if you uh, if you extend it a little bit at a time, right, you then have much greater control over with the direction that it's going, right. So for so what I did here, I took that painting summer, right, of the five women in the blue dresses, sort of lounging on that couch type thing, and uh, I can I, I kept extending the background to the point that I got what I would call Summer Extreme, the extreme version of the painting. It's really cool looking because it does actually, because like behind them is this archway that says Estas, A-E-S-T-A-S. I'm sure I looked up what that meant back then. Um, but this then, so there, the original painting is right in the center and then it's ex extended out greatly. So it looks like this huge interior of this building, including like on t the top, you're sort of the interior of a dome kind of thing with windows underneath this sort of, bizarre landscape of like buildings and garbage and stuff it's very weird and to the left and right uh these sort of areas it's hard to describe i don't even know what the heck is going on there um almost looks like a strip mine and there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on here but it does continue those those doorways at regular intervals so it's really interesting how the ai works in this case um so I figured I, as it's a sequel, The Vague Rodents in Summer Extreme, an extreme version of the summer painting. 
Of course, extreme without the beginning E. Extreme! <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the story behind this one. And, and the, the font I used, because I did actually... Um, the, um, not the, the Monsters episode of uh, Overnight Escape Central recently, I sort of finished up my segment with a very loud Sinistar scream. You know, Sinistar, the, the evil face in space from the video game. He goes, <laughs> so I was outside and I just roared out the Sinistar roar. And my wife was inside. She heard it. She's like, you're going you're gonna to scare the whole neighborhood with your, your Sinistar roar. Anyway, so I, I found the Sinistar font, and that's the font I used there. So anyway, it's kind of a pixel font altered in a way. It's vertically scaled, and uh, it is also um, slanted, you know, made italic. Uh, yeah, but, uh, so that's the story of today's show art. It's kind of referencing the past in some ways. I like it though. It's almost like there's these, like in the upper portion, it's like the, almost like weird hieroglyphs or something. Like, where does this all come from? I know the AI is trained on all different images that it sees, but it's kind of a groovy image, especially if you zoom in and look at stuff. What does estas mean again? Let me see. Estas. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, it just means summer. It's the Latin word for summer. Estas. I don't know how to pronounce that. Estas. Yeah, that really makes sense. I think that's what I found out last time, that it means summer. What's going on outside? Here's some leaf blown going on. It's freezing today. Overnight, I think it almost reached the freezing point. It was like 33, 34 degrees. Not quite, though. <laughs> Strange, since it was 80 just the other day on Saturday, as you heard on last episode. Anyway, the other night I had a dream that was uh, had, had one scene that was amazing with like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh, it was one of those frustrating dreams that I was trying to find something. I could never find it. It was uh, the, the, the premise of the dream was that there was this movie that I had something to do with that was a, it was sort of a, a documentary about this particular party that happened, right? And what was confusing is that we were meant to go to a party, like a premiere party for the movie, somewhere in Europe, and we couldn't find it. We kept traveling all around Europe to find where the premiere party was going to be. So it was kind of like a party about the movie about the party, right? So we're going all over the place, driving around, and finally I, uh, I felt I was close. I was driving around by myself. I got to the end of this road, and I'm like, now what? I, I, I saw a sign, you know, whatever, the, the venue. The, it was like a castle or something. So I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to have to use my phone to navigate, and I'll just turn right just to, just to, just to check. And I, I, got, I was getting completely lost. So it was in this kind of park area. It's like a park, like a, like a, na- a national park kind of area. Um, and I understood it was like kind of a tourist destination place. And I'm like, let me turn here. There was a street that went up, and then there was like a, one of those rock walls right next to the street. I'm like, I can just pull up here. There's a place to pull the car over, get my phone out, and just navigate using my phone. But I looked down the road, and there were these dinosaurs. And I understood that they were um, 
kind of robots that are that were being driven by people, but they looked super realistic. And there was a huge Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, it was gray. It was like a gray color. And it just was massive. And it was the way it was walking around and stuff, it, it looked real and real menacing. And But I, I knew it was uh, a person driving it and that it really wasn't dangerous, but I was still a little scared that it was going to come my way and start attacking me or something. There was a smaller dinosaur that the T-Rex went up to and was sort of playing with in a way, but um, I sort of felt like uncomfortable stopping there. I'm like, what if what, what if it comes over here? It's like, ugh. Um, but I guess I didn't get attacked by the dinosaur. Somehow, I don't remember using my phone in the dream. Sometimes if technology doesn't seem to work in dreams too well. But I did drive up to the place, and went in, there was like a locker room in the back, and I was trying to find the guy that made the movie in the locker room, and I don't know. But it was not really a particularly uh, eventful dream. It was yesterday, in fact, I had that dream. Yeah, I wrote down uh, November 1st. Today's November 2nd. Um, yeah, it, just that T-Rex. What, what inc- like it, just, it was sort of an overcast day. It was like maybe 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, <coughs> and just... The way that T the huge gray T Rex looked, it was such incredible graphics, such an incredible vision. Uh, very impressed by that. <laughs> strange, strange stuff. Now, um, now I have what one of these, uh, what I like to call peps, P E P, uh, past editing paranoia talking about the past. This is kind of like the Mandela effect. M- my, uh, my my view of Pep is uh, when you hear about something from the past, supposedly, that you never heard of before but you should have, it does start to feel like, hey, is this really something from the past that I just never happened to hear about at all? Which is probably the most likely explanation. Or... Have I drifted into some alternate universe which has a slightly different past, right? And I guess there's no way to really know, but, you know, I, as there has been a lot of uh, this type of phenomenon happening to me and other people, it may just be getting older, and maybe I actually had heard of some of these things, but I forgot. But this was a pretty big one. This one uh, started off, again, with this... Honestly, Shindig is the greatest magazine. It's well worth subscribing to, even though it's horribly expensive that it comes from England. It is the only magazine I really care about anymore. And I was looking in the review section. They have two sections, then and now. So then is uh, all these uh, reissues of stuff from the past. And um, now, of course, is new music. So here's uh, a band called Krabby Appleton, right? Krabby Appleton. Uh, a reissue of one of their records, right? Uh, Go Back, the anthology. Uh, You have to feel a bit sorry for power pop pioneers Krabby Appleton, despite having a copper-bottomed hit with the immortal Go Back. What is copper-bottomed? Is that a British turn of phrase? Yeah, I suppose. They never quite managed to follow up on its promise. The name imposed by Elektra didn't help in the 70s album market, arguably the equivalent of dubbing Badfinger Ina Sharples. Yeah, the name Krabby Appleton is kind of a crappy name. Um, so they, they, there's this reissue of their albums. So I'm like, what, 
well, wh where does Krabby Appleton come from? And I found out it comes from a cartoon series they used to play on Captain Kangaroo, apparently, called uh, Tom Terrific. Has anyone ever heard of this? Uh, yeah, it's it feels a little bit like something I should have heard of. What is this crap? Tom Terrific. And here's an episode that features the character Krabby Appleton. Uh, Krabby Appleton's Dragon. I was watching this. So... I have never heard of Tom Terrific. I mean, it, it sort of feels like, I don't know if it was the first one, about a child genius that imagines themselves doing all these things, sort of like, uh, what was that series by uh, Acme Novelty Library or something? By um, Remember that whole thing? The guy's name was Ware, maybe? Uh, the smartest kid in the world, Chris Ware. You, you know what I'm talking about? It ultimately was kind of like every issue was like uh, different size and shape. What was that whole thing? Uh, graphic novels of Chris Ware. The smartest kid in the world. J uh, Jimmy something, right? Jimmy Corrigan, the smartest kid on earth. Yeah. Remember that whole thing? Whatever happened to that whole thing? I tried reading some of it, but it just got, like, very, it was, yeah. I don't even know what to say about it. It felt like it, it, it was it was too, it was trying to be too smart for its own good. <laughs> I don't know. Jimmy Corrigan, the smartest kid on earth. I remember that was big in comic book circles. But the idea that there's this child genius also, um, well, the Mr. Peabody was the was the genius dog, and the kid, the human kid, was his friend, right? So this boy genius thing. So I'm familiar with the genre. Um, let's see, Amazon.com, Jimmy Corrigan, the smartest kid on earth. Hmm. Anyway, uh, so I had never heard of Tom Terrific. Hold on, let me read you what it says about the the cartoon. So the, the pep is that I never heard of Tom Terrific, ever. I think I should have. It's the kind of thing I would have known. I mean, yes, it was an animated series from 1957 to 1959, before my time. But it was shown on Captain Kangaroo. And I am assuming he must have kept uh, replaying it. Maybe it was completely off the air by the time uh, I was started watching. I would have started remembering stuff from TV from 69, 70, perhaps. Um, but the fact that I never even heard of it. And, and the, the animation style is very distinctive in that it has uh, it's sort of line drawings that you see the background through, right? But here's kind of like Terry Tunes. It may just be something before my something before my time. He's wearing a funnel on his head. Adventures of me, Tom Terrific. Never heard of this before. Manfred the Wonder Dog. In episode one of Krabby Appleton's Dragon, Tom Terrific World Headquarters. So it's in black and white, and you see the background through them. Is the name for me because I'm so clever. I can be one. So his look with the uh, 
wearing the funnel on his head, reminiscent of the Tin Woodman from uh, Wizard of Oz. And his dog is, like, very tired and lazy all the time. I have no memory of any of this. What I want to be, and if you'd like to see, follow, follow me. If you see a plane on high. So he can turn into anything. This, I think, would have been really fascinating to me as a kid if I saw this. It's me, you and there is trouble. I'm there on the double from Atlantic to Pacific. They know I'm terrific. Uh, 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 I'm Mighty Man Fred, the Wonder Dog, and Tom's ever faithful companion. Is this, this is so weird because I have no familiarity with this in the least. Because, as you know, I obsess, I obsess on these types of things, you know. Mighty Manfred, brave and noble wonder dog, man the after poop, break the bilge beam. We're and here's where we get to meet Krabby Appleton, who the band was named after. My name is Krabby Appleton, and I am... Krabby? Krabby. Titillates my funny bone to do a deed unlawful. Do my think good deeds are sappy. I laugh with glee, it pleases me. When everyone's unhappy. What's that I see? Why, it's Tom terrific, and he's happy about something. Oh, I can't stand little boys when they're happy, especially Tom terrific. I'll sneak up closer and see if I can spoil this is his so fun. bizarre. Because I. Again, not that I w- would necessarily have seen it on TV, but I would have encountered this somewhere in my research of television, cartoons, uh, pop culture, and everything, right? It's a very distinctive mid-century uh, style as well. Using a periscope, of course. And there's, like, a really cool, like, when he goes back to his base, there's, like, this cool, like, side view of the underwater entrance and his base and then his blow-up dra- robotic dragon. Kind of similar. It's weird. The robotic dragon and, like, my robotic T-Rex, kind of similar. Eh, weird. But, like, this side view of his of his uh, his base of operations is, is very cool. It's almost, like, blueprint-like. control panel to control the robotic dragon, robotic blow-up dragon. What is it, noble dog? I don't see a thing. Anyway. Has anyone else heard of this cartoon, Tom Terrific? (laughs) And Krabby Appleton? Someone must have thought enough of this to name the band. Apparently the record company sort of forced them to change their name to Krabby Appleton. So what's their big hit? Let's see if we can hear hear their big hit a little bit. I mean, if it was that big a hit, I think we you know, would have heard uh, Go Back is the name. Another thing about going back to the past. Get back to where you once belonged. Here they go. Here they are on TV. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Krabby Appleton. Is that Dick Clark? It sounded like <laughs> The big hit. Wow, there they are. Some black and white old TV broadcast. 1970. May of 1970. 
Do I know this song? Sounds familiar, but... Interesting. Anyway, some uh, pop culture journeys and past editing paranoias have been going on recently. All right, the plot thickens a bit with this Tom Terrific because apparently, first of all, um, it says Tom Terrific was ranked number 32 by TV Guide magazine in its 2002 list of 50 greatest TV cartoon characters. So it's not that obscure. And apparently in 1999, Nickelodeon did a, a pilot episode of a cartoon called Curbside with Terry Toon's characters, including Heckle and Jekyll, but Tom Terrific appears in this as well. Can I make a story today? Only because Mr. Magpie is too ill to do it. Okay, so they have like a, a statue of Mighty Mouse. One good deed at a time, and I, Mighty Mouse, will release this great city of Terrytown from the grips of evil. Looks like little Tommy needs some secret help. There's Tom Terrific. Hello, Tommy. Yikes! Who's there? A friend. Oh, man. I never had a mail slot for a friend before. And how'd you know my name? I also know you're scared to deliver those papers. Am not. Who says? Mighty Mouse says. You know Mighty Mouse? No way. <laughs> Hero, legend, and heck of a nice guy to boot. Wow. I'll tell you the truth. There's a mean, ugly giant named Creeper out there who hates paper boys. Said he'd squash me like a gnat if he saw me delivering. Great. What a, what a bizarre dreamlike cartoon this is. He ate a bus last week filled with chickens. But, like, people thought enough to include Tom Terrific. I mean. But it is the truth, Mr. Millslot. Not to worry, Tom. I'll tell Mighty. If you have trouble, just... Right. That's about enough of that, but you see what I'm saying, no? All right, out on the porch here. It's very sunny, but it's very cold out. It's a very chilly day. Nothing like uh, that beautiful Saturday at 80 degrees. Yeah, definitely a, a weird feeling in the air today. Kind of... Uh, hard, hard to pin down what's causing it. But it would be the feeling that you'd feel if reality were changed all of a sudden but you didn't know well I mean if there is some mechanism to edit or alter reality it would seem to be rather useful considering what a chaotic time we're living through there's got to be uh, all sorts of shenanigans going on in nearby timelines uh, nuclear wars etc so if there is some capacity to sidestep them to alter the course, though of course I don't know how such a thing would work, uh, it would be advantageous for that to be part of the system, no? Anyway, in other news, what's in this package? Wait a minute. It's an Amazon box. Anything good in here? Uh, yes, just some uh, stuff, you know, like those 
plastic bases for uh, house plants. We had to bring our plants in because of the freeze. Well, I should turn my hose off as well. Uh, yeah, I'm supposed to, yeah, because it's getting to the time of freezing. I have to turn the uh, spigot off outside. See all the things homeowners have to think about? Yeah. Anyway, in other news, um, Flea Devil Solitaire, the solitaire game I've been working on for 17 years now. And pretty much I'm the only person in the world playing it. But it's okay because I have to say in the past couple of years, I've really brought it to a place. It's so much better than it was. And I even did come up with a new rule today. By the time I do finally, it is out there. I mean, it's in the book. The rules are in the book. It is a bit difficult to play, so I do think I'd have to sort of do a series of videos or something to explain how to play. I absolutely, lo I absolutely love the game. I play, ev I play it all the time, and it's very well balanced at this point. Like, you want to try to get like a thousand points. That's really good if you get a thousand. Anyway, the new the new rule, um, desperado. I was going to call it desperation, but I really like calling it desperado. Um, that's where uh, <coughs> you can start to uh, trade in your royalties, which is what you score with in your in the easy go portion of of the deck. Three royalties get you just one dollar, but it can save you at the very end of the game. A desperado move. And, of course, the royalties are your face cards and your aces and your antiques. I feel I felt that I needed to revamp the antiques rule because I really haven't been using it a lot lately. The antiques rule is if you do a teleport, which is or a walkie-talkie, basically. Um, that is if you have a run of three cards, like 6, 7, 8, or 10 jack-queen. The middle one of, the, of that run you can uh, teleport one of its matches. So if you have three, four, five, you can teleport one of the other fours to that four. Uh, using the walkie-talkie method, of course, it costs $3. Antiques, which I've had for a while, is that the immediately after uh, you teleport, and you can, of course, uh, teleport or walkie-talkie... Um, Royalty cards, which are the face cards and the aces, um, but those cannot become antiques. Non-royalty cards, the twos through the tens, if they are teleported through walkie-talkie, immediately afterwards you can turn them into an antique. So prior to this, the rule was that the two cards together were one antique. And at the end of the game, it counts as one ace, which multiplies your score. My proposal uh, to revamp the antiques rule is that uh, you get the antiques in the same way, but they are now going to act as individual cards. So when you teleport them out, you can uh, you can choose to bank them, or you can choose to place them in the easy go face up as royalties. But now each card counts as an ace, and you can split them like you can split normal royalties. You could put one in, you can bank one, and you could put one in the easy go. If you put both in, potentially, right, you could increase your score greatly. And I've, I've, I even realized mathematically I haven't been able to figure out what the maximum score was with the previous antiques rule. But now with this new antiques rule, 
we could be looking for much higher scores per round, potentially. I do feel that the new rules make it uh, a bit riskier, right? Because when you bank two cards, you have two dollars to play with. Uh, turning, uh, you know, using turning them into antiques is, uh, you know, you have two less dollars to play with, and a lot of times a game ends. You know, uh, you just need that one dollar. So those two individual cards now are two royalties. And those will just be considered uh, in Desperado. That's two of the three that you need to get a dollar back. So anyway, I'm going to keep playing with those rules. There will come a time when Flea Devil is, uh, I think, uh, presented and released to the world in a, in a real way. Uh, I, I guess it's just not time yet. It's uh, it's been a long road, but I do feel that this is a uh, it's a, it's it's a great game, and it's something all you need is a deck of cards, and it's uh, I have I have a deck upstairs and downstairs, and I just pick it up and play. You can because the idea is that it's in the deck. You can just put it back on the shelf and then continue the game at any time. You could carry it around, put it back in the pack, and take it out. It's a game you can pause at any time. What other solitaire games can you see that for? Anyway, so that's the story with uh, Flea Devil. I keep I keep thinking it's done, but I keep uh, refining it as I'm playtesting it. I mean, I've played hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rounds. I have it all written down. Um, and I hopefully keep making it better and better. And hopefully at some point you listening can play as well because it's a great thing to play while you're listening. That's sort of the idea of it. Um, of course, I'm looking to finish the next edition of the print book this month, so whatever, however the rules stand will be uh, in the book. So hopefully this new uh, Antiques revamp uh, will, uh, will help, will be good. It does, make the, it does make the game more exciting. It's risk versus uh, reward, that sort of thing. All right, back inside where it's warm. So, you know, one thing I love to do is explore old video games in MAME, the multi-arcade machine emulator, of which uh, a few years ago I got a full ROM set from Pleasure Dome, which did shut down, but I think the Pleasure Dome ROMs are still out there, but it's thousands and thousands of games, arcade games, all the home games, everything. You can have everything. And so... uh, I have explored it so much over the years. I'm happy to find something that's kind of new or different. I found this game, Megatack, um, from the company Game Plan, though it was produced by Sentry or Tayo. And this article I found talks all about this game, um, Megatack. There's a few other games that are similar to it. I don't know if this article is going to cover it. This is an article I found on a a web page that seems all the images are no longer linked, but... The text, if you hit select all, you can still read the text. <laughs> I should zoom in a little bit, too. Um, we'll see what this says. So it's uh, this website is solarflox... Excuse me, let me start again. solarfox.triluminary.net slash arc underscore megatech.php. So let me just read you this article. Um, this is probably the most information on Megatech out there because I really do enjoy the game. You can actually play it um, on the Internet Archive uh, on their uh, on the page, you can play it right in the browser. 
Gameplan Inc., formerly located in Addison, Illinois, was one of the many smaller manufacturers who dove into the video game market in the early 80s, when the video game fad was booming and the player's appetite seemed insatiable. Gameplan, which also made a handful of pinball and slot machines during the company's short existence, 1978 to 1985, developed few, if any, of their own video game ideas in-house. Most of the, their titles were ideas licensed from the bigger, more established companies like Century, that's Century with an I at the end, who were only too happy to let someone else take the risk of trying to market the B-list ideas they didn't think were good enough to develop themselves. Or from smaller foreign market companies who wanted to get into the U.S. market without having to do the actual manufacturing and shipping. Unfortunately, like many other second-string manufacturers, they not only lacked the resources to compete against the established industry giants like Williams, Bally Midway, and Atari, they were entering a market which was quickly becoming flooded with titles from all the other second-tier manufacturers trying to cash in on the video game fad. The company's sales were modest at best, though the exact fail sales figures are currently unknown, and game plans ceased operations in 1985. Many of the machines that were sold were later junked or converted. As a result, rel relatively few of these machines survive intact. At the moment, I'm one of only two members of the Video Arcade Preservation Society who claims to own a complete Megatac machine. Again, I don't even know who this is because I gave the website. I, this website is almost completely defunct, but at least I can still read this. The exact lineage of Megatac is a bit of a mystery. The killer, the killer list of video games, KLOV, credits the game to a company called Tayo System. But the title screen on the game itself, as well as the operator's manual, or at least my copy of it, credits it as having been licensed from Century. On the other hand, Killer Comet, which not only runs on the same hardware but shares ser several fairly obvious and distinctive gameplay characteristics, is credited by both KLOV and the game materials as being from Century. Yeah, Killer Comet is another. It's very similar but different to Megatech. I like Megatech better, I think, because Killer Comet, you kind of have to go in four directions. Megatech, you're just going left and right. I mean, it, it's closest, perhaps, to something like Galaxian or Galaga, but it's its own thing. It's very different. Megatech was the eighth game added to my collection via a direct purchase from a collector in California and my first experience with shipping a game cross-country, and oy vey, what a fiasco that turned out to be, for the princely sum of $100 plus another 120 for shipping. Overall, the game was in fair, but not necessarily great shape. On the plus side, the electronics all worked, and the marquee and monitor overlay were intact. On the minus side, though, the cabinet has some significant water damage along the bottom, which I knew was the case when I bought it and the monitor was in desperate need of a rebuild. The picture was so dim that you had to real, you really had to crank up the brightness to get any kind of visible picture, and the vertical retrace was quite annoyingly visible. It seemed to be my particular curse to get games with monitor problems. The problem turned out to be the picture tube itself. The guns were going weak, and giving them a whack with a tube rejuvenator didn't seem to improve matters much. So I just junked the monitor and replaced it with a second hand, but freshly recapped Wells Gardner, and now the picture looks fine. <laughs> See, there's, pi there's supposedly pictures here, but I, they're not loading. Fortunately, the spaceship art on the front of the cabinet, located underneath the coin door, seems to have survived pretty much intact. 
Even more importantly, the water damage didn't damage any of the electronics inside of the cabinet, so it's possible this cabinet could be fully restored just by cutting some new particle board sides, painting them to match, then disassembling and rebuilding it. However, that's a major project that, alas, will have to wait for another day. One of the downsides of apartment dwelling is that it really isn't practical to do major woodworking projects there. See, I don't even know what time period this is from, this, this article. The Megatac control panel, just a basic two-way joystick plus a left and right fire button and a one-player, two-player start button, this too is a bit water damaged. The clear plastic sheet over the artwork is a tad warped. This too should be an easy fix, although having tracked down the electronics marquee and control panel overlay for a killer comet, I have other plans for this cabinet. Eventually, I think a killer comet slash megatech combo machine would be cool, don't you? Yes, I do think that's very cool, mystery writer here. My first and only encounter with a megatech game in the wild, as it were, was at a gold mine arcade inside a mall in Salt Lake City, Utah. I don't remember which one, other than I'm pretty sure it was not the Crossroads Mall. The Crossroads Mall. And I don't think it was ZCMI. Dot, dot, dot. I never saw another one until a collector dealer in California offered this unit for sale on a Rec Games Video Arcade dot collecting news group. We quickly negotiated a sale, and I arranged to have it transported by private door-to-door shipper who subsequently turned out to be, shall we say, somewhat less than reliable and who is now deservedly somewhat less than still in business. Then again, I suppose I got off easy compared to some people, since I at least got my game. Last I heard, there were quite a few collectors whose games simply went missing or got stranded in storage units and U-Hauls that got seized by their owners because this guy hadn't paid any of his bills. Wow, that sounds like a whole other story. Gameplay. Not one game, but two. Double their pleasure. Double your profit. So, proclaimed, somewhat ungrammatically, in the game flyer at least. Remember, these flyers went out to arcade operators and were intended to convince them to buy the game, not to convince players to play it. Megatac, like most of the vertical space shooters, is a simple, straightforward game with rules and objectives that are immediately obvious just by watching the attract mode. Shoot everything that moves and don't let anything hit you. What could be easier? Bonus space pods are awarded at 20,000 points, not operator-selectable. And there is no buy-in capability to continue the game once your last space pod is gone. Megatac saves and displays the highest three scores and allows you to enter your initials. High scores are not preserved when the game is turned off. Waves of bombarding monsters challenge player. Triangle laser shoots down monsters. Megatech consists of two alternating stages. In the first stage, in this first stage, you are under attack by a horde of space monsters which descend from the top of the screen, dropping bombs. Your task, of course, is to shoot them down and avoid the bombs. If any of the invaders manage to land on the ground, they begin to hop towards your ship, intent on consuming you. Fortunately, your ship is equipped with the triangle laser, which not only fires straight up, but 45 degrees to either side as well. Whenever you press the fire button, so uh, whenever you press the fire button, so dispatching any monsters attacking from the side is usually not that hard. Tip: the three shots are independent of each other. So if your straight-up bullet is still in the air, but your side bullets have already hit something, you can still whack the fire button again and shoot two more side bullets. Yeah, I noticed that when I was playing it. 
If one of them does manage to catch you, though, your space pod will be eaten rather than simply blown up, which is worth doing deliberately once or twice just for the goofy animation and sound effect which accompanies it. Another advantage you have going for you besides the triangle laser is that thanks to the limitations of the Megatac graphics hardware, only eight monsters out of an attack wake an attack wave of 25 can be on the screen simultaneously. So there's little danger of the monsters overwhelming you by sheer numbers. The chief advantage in later waves is just the sheer speed with which their bombs fall and their somewhat random movements. Score enough points or get pod eaten by monsters and game moves to mode 2. The fiendish space rings. Whoever wrote up the flyer obviously hadn't played the game, since getting your pod eaten by a monster is not a way to get to the fiendish space ring stage. And even if it was, it'd be a pretty dumb strategy. As for the space rings themselves, they're not they're not fiendish so much as annoying. Each time you shoot one of the rings, they split into two smaller ones up to an internal limit known only by the game's computer, which quickly be begin growing in size again. If you allow any one of them to reach full size, it will suck your space pod into its center and crush it. Unfortunately, this is the stage you no longer have a triangle laser at your disposal. Guess that would have made this stage a bit too easy. Now you can, fire, now you can only fire straight up. However, you can have up to three bullets in the air simultaneously, so that helps. The rings can be difficult to hit, especially since they drift around randomly, and two new rings that a shot ring splits into will immediately fly off in opposite directions before you can hit them again. So you have to keep chasing them back and forth across the screen. However, at least no one is dropping bombs on you or trying to come at you from the sides in this stage, so your primary obstacles here are how fast you can fire and how quickly you can react to the ring's sudden change in direction as you chase them across the screen. You see why I like this? It's like so much written about this incredibly obscure game. And I and playing it, I know exactly that's at first I'm like, oh wow, these space rings are so easy, but then in later, you know, it goes between the aliens, the rings, aliens, the rings. Later, man, those rings, they grow so fast, they suck you in. If you complete this stage either by destroying all the rings or getting absorbed by one, you go back to face a new breed of space monsters. Yeah, there's there's all these different graphics of monsters. Perhaps this is where the guy who did the flyer copy got confused. The monsters appear in the order given on the score menu screen from the bottom up. If you make it past the 800-point yellow monsters, then you face a mixture of breeds in each round thereafter. Megatech has a peculiar and somewhat annoying way of displaying the number of space pods you have left, or perhaps more accurately, not displaying how many pods you have left. You start each game with a predetermined number of pods, either three or four, depending on the dip switch setting on the board. And the number in the center of your current space pod reflects how many pods you have left out of this initial set you started the game with, not the total number of pods you have left, including the earned bonus pods. Any bonus space pods you earn during the game do not change this number, nor do they change the X space pods remaining message, which is displayed after your current pod is destroyed. But before you begin playing your next pod, that message too counts only how many of your original pods you have left. See, this is a problem. After all, after all of your original space pods are destroyed, the message changes to bonus space pod. Yeah, I was confused by that because I was playing the game and I'm like, I thought it was game over, but it kept saying bonus space pod. And the space pod is numbered zero. Basically, nowhere does the game ever tell you how many bonus space pods you've actually earned 
or how many pods you really have left before the game ends. That's really interesting because I, I was really puzzled by that. Yeah. Technical stuff. Megatech used a design entirely unique to game plan, as was common in those days. The idea of inter- an interchangeable system such as JAMA wouldn't come along, wouldn't come about for several years yet, although some of the manufacturers such as Sega, whoa, sorry, uh, had started to offer a few games which could be converted to other games of that manufacturer's system. One of the most interesting aspects of their design is their graphics board. Rather than use any of several commercially available graphics controllers chips, they elected to roll their own graphics system out of a discrete 74XX family logic chips. Sorry, out of discrete 74XX family logic chips, along with the handful of linear chips to handle the analog video signal generation. The result is low-tech but effective, and its resolution of 256 by 256 does have a certain appealing symmetry to it. Another unique aspect of GamePlan's video system is that the VRAM, VRAM cannot be seen or accessed by the CPU. The video display exists solely as a write-only device on some of the CPU's I.O. ports. And objects appear to be drawn into VRAM using a turtle-like vector drawing system rather than directly bitmapped. Very odd. Why it was done this way, I'm not entirely sure. Any information about game plan seems to be hard to come by. But it's possible that given the cost of full-scale graphics controller chips back then, it might have ended up cheaper to build this way. The backside of the old dim picture monitor, as it looked when I first opened up the cabinet, is a thing of beauty. A thing of beauty it is not. Then again, neither was the rest of the interior. This machine had obviously spent a long time gathering dust in a forgotten corner of someone's warehouse. I tried recapping the monitor to improve the picture, but it didn't help much. So this monitor has since been pulled and replaced with a second-hand Wells Gardner 19-inch, which, even though it probably didn't really need it, has also been recapped just on general principles since it's already had uh, some time in it when I got it. The Megatech Logic Board stack, this consists of three boards, the CPU board, the sound board, and the graphics board. This same board system was used for their previous Killer Comet game, and probably for most of their other games as well. The main obstacle to simply rigging this cabinet to play both, I suspect, will be a control mapping. Will be the control mapping. The left and right pins on Megatech's connector are not left and right on Killer Comet, and so on. This was a common tactic used by game manufacturers during the 80s. The idea was to make it more difficult for operators to convert one game into another just by making bootleg copies of the EEPROM chips from one game and sticking them into another cabinet. The CPU and soundboards are both driven by 6502 microprocessors clocked at 895 kilohertz. Yes, that's kilohertz. The peculiar clock speed is yet another cost-cutting measure. That number is the frequency of a 3.579 uh, megahertz color burst crystal, which was and is dirt cheap because it's used for just about every color TV set made, or at least every NTSC set TV set, divided by four. In their documentation, Game Plan tried to play this up as a feature by claiming that a CPU, which was rated for one megahertz, would be more reliable when run at a lower clock speed, considering the less than ideal conditions which many arcade games were called upon to operate in 24 hours a day, they may have had a point. That their programmers were able to wring the kind of performance they did out of an 8-bit CPU 
that wasn't even running at a full 1 megahertz is a testament to the ingenuity of the assembly language jockeys of the day. I'll lay odds that most of today's bloatware programmers, spoiled as they are in C++, ran by the gigabyte, and multi-gigahertz CPUs couldn't even get a decent Pong game running in this on this system. So that is uh, <laughs> that is the story here. What happened to these images? Let's see. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. What this site James Lilex is the name of this James Lilex. James Lilex was the person that wrote this. Okay. Hmm. Is that the same person? I don't know if that's the person or that's... There's a link to James Lilex. <laughs> anyway. Let's play some Megatag here. You can go on uh, archive.org slash detail slash arcade underscore Megatag. That's M-E-G-A-T-A-C-K. I know it could have been spelled with two T's, but they just used one. And... Uh, Here we go. Megatac, score menu. Wow, there's uh, eight different kinds of aliens. Three space pods per player. Win a bonus space pod for each 20,000 points. And it's this interesting uh, color scheme, right? They're, they're using these, uh, I think it's a, the sixth, there's, there's eight colors, right? It's uh, magenta, dark blue, light blue, yellow, green. Put a coloring in, and let's see how we can do this. See, it says Game Plan, Copyright 1980, Century, Inc. Here we go. All right. Yeah, so this is one of those first rounds. So it says I have three space pods left. And these are kind of like spiders the first round. Yeah, you can play it right in the browser. It's a really good game. I was actually imagining uh, my fictional character, uh, Bag, that I came up with recently, playing this game. As it is around 1980, which is the right time period for the Bag, Sullivan Bagner, the character I came up with. This would be in the college game room, perhaps. Alright, here's these damn space rings. These space rings are annoying. It's a good game, Mega Attack, 1980. I know I don't recall seeing it in in, uh, in the wild myself. As I usually remember the games I saw, you know, out out and about in arcades. This one was not amongst them. One from around the same time that I recall seeing only once was like Tunnel Hunt. I saw that at the uh, King of Prussia Mall at a bowling alley way back when. Yeah, here's some different aliens. Ooh. Oh, he also said to see what it's like when an alien uh, eats eats your ship. So we're gonna, we'll have to uh, try and allow that to happen here. All right, this should be all right here. Ooh, yes, it's eating it. <laughs> it's cool. It actually jumps up and down and eats your ship. Wow, pretty cool. Anyway, I like Mega Attack. A little bit of video game history here for you. Right, I want to. I 
want to get to the space ring so we can see what happens when the space ring gets you. Oh, I think that, I think each alien has a di differently shaped um, bombs as well. Yeah, shooting them on the sides feels a little bit like shooting um, in Tempest, the Atari game from I believe the same year, eighty. You know, you can sh you can get them right next to you. All right, let's let let's let one of these rings grow and see what happens. The evil space rings. Uh, this one's getting pretty big. Oh, it sucks you in. Gone. Game over. Mega attack. Yes. Good game. Obscure game, but a great game. Yeah. Oh, here's my Celebrity Tequila 818. I guess I did have quite a bit on Halloween. <laughs> anyway. You know, all this stuff about looking back at the past. How about looking forward to the future? What's, what's coming up? It's weird. These days it feels... The future feels... Right? It feels non-existent in a way. It feels like we're faced backwards squarely and are not really facing the future at all. And maybe it's just me. I don't know. But um, but it's tough. It's tough to, you know, when the whole society doesn't really seem to be that into the future, right? I mean, uh, we're looking forward to what? It seems right now everyone's been kind of conditioned to think about all the terrible things that are happening. Whereas truly, if you look at the situation sort of in a neutral fashion, uh, our technology continues to increase. And with it, the potential for a new kind of uh, lifestyle for people with, where they have to work less and worry less about things. This crazy economy that we have the crazy economic systems, which I understand are intertwined with our culture and society and everything else in very deep ways, um, is really not, this economic system is not really appropriate to our current tech level. And I understand, my theory about it is that, you know, I guess the, the main question is why don't we, I'll take a step back and look at where we're at technologically and realize that each of us as human beings can live much, potentially much richer, fuller, more interesting, more healthy lives if we all just reorganize things a bit. Now, I know you might say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, um, but not to say that it would necessarily work. It's just I'm just talking about asking the question as I'm doing. Um, it just seems that we have all the ingredients to have a much better society and way of life. And I know that I've talked about theories such as the seeming cruel, random, strange society that we're living in is actually fine-tuned to provide us 
the best possible experience as human beings. That is, if we were presented with much more free time, not having to worry about uh, money, things like that, we might, we might, and I don't want to, I don't want to think this is true, but we might have a lesser ex- life experience. It's it's dealing with all the chaos and the limitations might because of the nature of human beings be ultimately the optimal way to live a human life in terms of enjoyment because i know as humans we deal with the chaos which is always present and find little pleasures in between right and um maybe that is the ultimate maybe that is the best case scenario though i know it's a very dangerous way of saying it because on paper we could all live much more comfortable interesting lives with a reorganized society. So to say, oh, it's because it's the work has already been done, right? One of my theories is that all of these different societal ta- tactics have been tried out in alternate timelines and that perhaps this is the end result. It seems rather bizarre the way we're living our lives, but maybe it is... And I'm not saying it is, and I don't want to think that it is. I don't, I don't want to justify bad behavior if it is based on bad, bad behavior. But that's just a theory I have. So I will mitigate my statement with that theory. But um, we could just do – there is so much we could do. And this sense of uh, kind of desperation that we're all in. We're all a sort of desperados at this point. Ooh, the grocery delivery. Right. Uh, it, it It seems to take away from our – anticipation of a better future, right? So, yeah. I mean, I think that super bright future kind of died in the early 80s. But, I don't know, it could come back. Anyway, I'm just commenting on how it seems that the future has become Right, because even even back in, right, the eighteen nineties, the nineteen twenties, the nineteen fifties, those bright visions of the future may not have turned out to be true in all cases. Though some things, of course, happened, um, but to live in a society where the view of the future is very bright and exciting, and you could read about it and think about it and talk about, it, oh my God, we're going to have these flying cars and robot butlers, and right which I think we still might have at some point, but right, it it seemed like a bright future, whereas now the future seems to have to completely collapsed in some ways. I may be wrong. I, I'm just sort of spitballing here. You know, What the hell happened to the future? That's all I'm trying to say. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, all I know is for the near future, tonight is when uh, the new episode of Gen V and Loki comes out, so I have that to look forward to. The Gilded Age is back on HBO. It's a pretty good show. Uh, takes place in New York City in the 1890s. Uh, 1890s is one of my favorite historical time periods, of course. The Chicago World's Fair, as aforementioned, etc. Um, so those are some of those little pleasures. You can watch Gen V and all these TV shows, you know. The little pleasures in between. 
that could be the you know the real the real value of it all. I don't know. Anyway, well, thank you so much for patching into this episode of the Overnight Scape. I'm your host Frank Edward Nora here in Nutley, New Jersey. I'm here on November, a Thursday, November second, twenty twenty three. Yeah, I hope they hope they're doing all right over there in uh, the real the original Jersey, not the not the real Jersey, the original Jersey, not the new one. I I, have, I mean I have a feeling the new Jersey is actually much more important and cool and interesting than the regular Jersey, but I've never been there so. I did. I did look around the streets of Jersey and uh, Google Maps at one point, but they should just be happy that they helped name one of the greatest places on earth, New Jersey. It's the new, the new Jersey, the new form of Jersey, the Jersey of the future. Yes. <laughs> if they only knew how great New Jersey would become. Yeah. Anyways, we're here on Onsug Radio, and you can find everything at onsug.com right now. Or if you're in the further future, in the and 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 uh, at some point, I have to imagine, as the centuries wear on, these dot-com internet websites will be a thing of the past, of course. You will find a book called Onsug Radio, and everything will be inside that book. All the audio, everything will be inside that object, be it a physical object or a virtual object. We are a radio station inside a book, as crazy as that sounds. Um, go to onsug.com right now, O-N-S-U-G.com. Onsug, of course, stands for Overnightscape Underground. O-N-S-U-G is the word that has become the name of our project, Onsug. And uh, just go to onsug.com. All the latest shows, you can actually participate in a show called Overnightscape Central. Um, this pat- The last week's topic was... Uh, uh, the topic of monsters, of course, that was a great episode. And uh, the next topic is 80s movies, movies from the 1980s. So if you have anything to say about that, please join in. Yes, you, yes, you, we, you are invited to participate. Just check out the latest episode, and you'll get all the instructions on how to participate. Record some stuff, send it to PQ in New Mexico. We'd love to hear from you. But, yeah, this archive, of course, uh, is uh, over 14,000 hours of Quality audio material. We have a very unique style. Uh, we're a non-commercial project, and we're very focused on preserving our work on into the far future. So that's a few things that make Onsug Radio different. As I mentioned, Onsug Radio, the book, I'm going to be uh, really scrambling to get it out this month. The next edition, the current edition of the book, which you can buy at Onsug.com, print on demand. It is called The Onsug, a radio station inside a book. I'm changing the name to Onsug Radio just to make it everything a bit clearer. It's it's Onsug. It's a weird word, and this radio. So it's a kind of radio that's onsug. So even reading the title, uh, it gives you s- some idea. And then it, on the logo, it says "Weird Old Variety Since 1999." So just that graphic alone would give people something of an idea of what's going on. Um, please check it out. Uh, the archive is free forever. Uh, we want people to listen. We want you to listen. And we—I feel like all of our recordings can really keep people company on into the far future, especially when people have a lot more free time and or achieve some degree of immortality. Life could get very boring, but not if you have Onsug Radio, the book, and all the 14, I'm sure it'll be more than 14,000 hours by the time you get it. So you could spend years and years of your millennia-long life listening to all our shows and getting to know us. And then using your quantum computer to, to send signals back in time so we don't all just sort of give up doing this back in the early 2000s, so we keep doing it. <laughs> you, oh, you are the ones that uh, manipulated time and the time stream so that we kept doing Onsug Radio. Ah, well, thank you. 
It's a worthy pursuit. I think so. <laughs> Anyways. Now, you want to talk about another worthy pursuit? Those vague rodents are not only into the summer extreme. They're also into this. The most amazing collection of sonic confections you're likely to encounter this week. Or this millennium. Known as The Other Side.
excuses. I only wear them. No excuses. Sportswear and accessories. I saw the Mandelbrot set uh, somewhere in the mid-80s, I remember it quite clearly. Uh, we were at a mathematical conference on something totally different and everyone went along to this exhibition because it was mathematical pictures and there were these amazing coloured pictures on the wall and I'd really not seen anything like this before. It's not easy to describe the Mandelbrot set visually. It looks like a man, it looks like a cat, it looks like a cactus, it looks like a cockroach. It's got little bits and pieces that remind us of almost anything that you can see out in the real world, particularly living things. So it has a, 
a character that reminds us of lots of things and, and yet it itself is unique and, and new. The Mandelbrot set is real, an absolute thing, no question whatsoever. Any mathematician or any computer scientist or student in a school can study it and find the same, describe the same thing. It's a common experience. And so such things that can be magnified forever and have infinite precision do exist, but they're not touchable. It's a geometrical shape, an, an icon, if you wish, which somehow embodies as an example a very important aspect of how the world works. Somebody recently actually called this set the thumbprint of God. Now, come to Daddy Wee Laddie, and I'll tell you a tale that'll set your heart racing and turn your face pale. It's a story of murder and things that aren't good, and a lassie named Little Dead Riding Hood.
Arcadia just emanated after six months of searching for a name one night. It was final decision time, and we had to have a name for the next day. Poussin painted Les Bergers d'Arcadie, the shepherds of Arcadia, shows them standing by a tomb, and there's an inscription, it's in Arcadia Ego, which is really that's that phrase from which we took the name. Simon wrote down this thing that said, et in Arcadia Ego, which uh, is a sort of old Latin inscription. Um, with a lot of mysterious, mystic content to it, and it just felt like the right sort of atmosphere for the project. The album is definitely European-sounding. It's got a little bit of Hispanic in it, a little bit of Gypsy. I think that Paris just seemed to be the right place for the videos. Okay, music. Let's get the tassels though. Out. Yeah. As if it is in a small area that's got exactly. you know, larger bits. That well, I just want you go through the teeth. It's got to be big and back, and her eyes right the way up there. How's that? Music. Action. Bravo à tous. And you have to coming out from him, it has to look like you have to look the sexiest thing, the opposite. And we let Simon then become the close-up. Right, keep going. So wallop. Then we see Stefan comes in, the face, and, and I do that. Those are the ponies. These are the stallions. Correct. The dollar shop. Well, well, do you want to see 
Ça va, là, c'est bon Can you hear me, Doc? Yeah. yeah. This enormous projector will come on and will cast your shadow enormous at the back. And when the light comes, you feel it because it's blasting. I tell you when, yeah? Okay. Now go, try. Go, Sean. Go. And go, jerk. That's it. Nick really wanted to have a special look and watch her Kristen too. They were really interested about Cocteau. John Cocteau actually came into the picture because uh, I've always had a certain fascination with his work. I think that he's, he's done some amazing things, including some amazing films like Le Belle et Le Bête, um, Beauty and the Beast. His it's a very important piece of cinema. Now, uh, it's kind of nice with a video to move towards things that are slightly more cinematic, I think. It's a new day, thinking of a way to get paid Shaping words like clay, serving like a souffle Hey, back's here to stay, won't stray Critics soon to say, we got tunes to play From June to May, long as I got a room to lay up I stay up, chop beats and breaks up the bits Hold up, wait up, time to get this cake up Split it like you do an eighth up Distribute it, put new recruits on like makeup Boots laced up in the booth, mic in my face Plus surrounded by sound, based up Tracks get sprayed up, super soaker style For clowns who play around like jokers Trying to imitate but don't know how to articulate They irritate, trying to simulate what my pen creates So I innovate and hit them straight with bars when rhythms make My thoughts ventilate, it's no debate They can't relate to what we demonstrate All around, our streets delight So here's another one for y'all to bite You can't rock a party with the hip and hop Gotta let them know we'll never stop when we rhyme, we never quit. Yo, see, gotta rhyme, then just say it. 
your rhymes gotta make a lot of sense Gotta know when it start, when the beats come in Check me out y'all, be the best me ever See on the mics and beats well put together Only hope to contain what you can't stop or sever The karma, the extended fam, ain't nothing better Write the best of rhymes and stand the test of time Outshine even the sun divine, raise the blind Clash on these iron mics, I claim this mine Whether I'm on or unsigned, can never lead the grind This is why I ride and shine on tracks equipped With your bass and snare, high hats and kicks I take it deep like a passionate kiss Only seen the flicks, many say they can't but few do it like this Best known to be on chill mode But the way my brain probes, you know I'm always ready to go Salute me kid, and watch me do me well Trying to make you feel me like my rhymes on braille for real All around, all streets delight So here's another one for y'all to bite You can't rock a party with the hip and hop Gotta let them know we'll never stop When we rhyme, we never quit Yo, Gotta rhyme, then just say it Your rhymes gotta make a lot of sense Gotta know when it start, when the beats come in Drop juice from the crown, the strong arm, the mic Play the beat a couple times before the rhyme ignites Dealing with anger and stress, trying to sort my life Same as the next man do, setting my sight I take my frustrate straight to the booth Get loose without the juice, the 100 proof Got troops that'll smash a girl and take your loot While she laying on the bed in a birth they suit the rap maniac still rapping on tracks since way back in the day yup that's a fact nowadays i build on self-awareness when i was younger i was all too rotten and careless most of my time spent i be quiet as kept till i'm pushed too far then a ride is met go hard like the jets the yanks and the mets true giants on the set let's get it correct all around all streets to light so here's another one for y'all to bite you can't rock a party with the hip and hop Gotta let them know we'll never stop When we rhyme, we never quit Yo, if you gotta rhyme, then just say it Your rhymes gotta make a lot of sense Gotta know when it start, when the beats come in so much power been used so ineffectively as in Vietnam. If after all of this time and all of this sacrifice and all of this support, there is still no end in sight, then I say the time has come for the American people to turn to new leadership, not tied to the policies and mistakes of the past. I pledge to you, we shall have an honorable end to the war in Vietnam. This time, vote like your whole world depended on it.
I'm not gonna do just any commercial. And I'm gonna sell out. U.S. Open champion Monica Sellis. I'm not giving up my acting lessons. No way. And I'm not going to Disney World.
Meet Jeannie, Annie, Madge, and Deirdre. Not exactly the girls next door. Hey, anything you want, baby? Not from you, slime. <laughs> they move to a beat all their own. Watch them move, watch them shake it. They're foxes. They're looking good like foxes should. They dare to do what others dream of. Moving out, buying a place of our own. Oh, you know, it's not just for you. My mother would love it. You look like kids, but you don't act like them. You're short 40-year-olds and you're tough ones. Run too fast, fly too high. Run too fast. You forget your mom, you know, when you go out in the world, it gets scary sometimes. Learn to laugh a little. Jodie Foster, Scott Bale, Sally Kellerman, Randy Quaid. They dare to do what others dream of. They're foxes.